Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello everybody and welcome back to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and with us today we've got Susanna Cole from The Good Property Company. Hey Susanna. Nice to be here and thank you for inviting me on. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and you have been in the industry for many, many years and seen lots of different uh, turns in the market and, and, you know, lots of different strategies. So I'm really excited to have you on today to just talk about your journey, what's been happening and, uh, and where you are now. So let's, let's get started. Do you want to just give a brief introduction for people who've not come across you before super brief uh Susanna called the good property company and I started uh, just when Lehman Brothers was crashing so when people are talking about this economy I'm like ah amateur level (laughs) because you know I took the day off to listen to the Lehman Brothers I mean it was awful but it was fascinating and just listened to the radio uh, all day long so Uh, This will be my second recession that we're heading through. Um, I started as head of household, so I didn't have a huge amount of money because, you know, there's only plan A, there wasn't plan B. And I knew that in order to be able to afford to spend more time with my family and to have a future that wasn't predicated upon retiring at 67 and who's going to trust them with our pensions? I certainly didn't. You know, where there's muck, there's brass. I wanted to own uh, managing my own finances so I started off um, pulling some cash out my own property port- uh, my own property thought I was just going to do it myself quickly ran out of money like we all do went into deal packaging went into joint venture flipping did um, joint venture flipping for a long time did deal packaging for a long time raised millions of pounds of money paid it all back um, and built my own property portfolio so now I live half in Bristol where I'm chatting to you today and half in Barcelona because I've got homes in both places nine minutes from the sea so I'm glad I did it but it was yes. hard yes well no one said it would be easy did they no no and I think yeah there are some people who say oh yeah get rich quick but for most yeah. people who certainly you know they've spent a little bit of time in the industry they can see that this is a long-term game yes uh, get wealthy yeah it is but for a lot of people even though they understand it's a long-term game it can be quite overwhelming at the beginning not knowing where to start and there's so yeah. much uh, you know advice and shiny pennies here and there so it sounds like you've been through a few a few of those strategies if you could start again would you would you start with the same strategy Oh, the thing is, if I could start again, I'd know that it worked. Um, so, so that there was so a couple of things. Definitely get good at one thing and get so. So, although occasionally I got tempted by a shiny penny strategy, I kind of didn't. I'm quite good at compartmentalizing and saying, you know, 
you over there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep you over there until I'm ready to focus on this. I need to get really good at this one thing and rinse and repeat and, and then be able to expand it. Um, so so that was definitely one piece of advice. And I think the cornerstone to be to getting started in property when you're not sat with millions of pounds is being able to find those discounted deals. And when I was started going to property events and, you know, be terrified, you know, walk before you walk through the hotel door, you're like, oh, what do I know about property? Nothing. Uh, and feeling very sort of, oh, this, you know, imposter syndrome. Um, uh, they were talking about you can get a discounted deal, you can leave no money left in. And I was just thinking, nonsense, I don't believe you. Well, we did 45 million pounds worth of those in Bristol, which is a really, really wealthy city, um, 217 deals uh, and, a, and a great purchase of 30 million quid. So now I know you can get those deals. And if you notice, we rinsed and repeated and we just got very, very good at finding discounted deals. So don't do shiny penny, get very good at discounted deals. The, the strategies I looked at with excitement and discarded and um, th this may not be right for everybody, was I looked at rent to rent and thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And, and my thinking was, I want to be able to buy the asset. I want the capital growth. I don't see that. Richard Branson always talks about protecting your downside while enjoying an unlimited upside. Well, to my mind, and, and I looked at rent to rent with super excitement and, and decided not to proceed with it because you have to pay the landlord whether the tenants pay you or not. I've only had two tenants that have not paid me. Uh, both have CCJs against them. And that's in, you know, since 2008, 2009, thousands of tenants. But, you know, that's because I'm really tight on, on financial management. So it, rent to rent felt to me like, hang on, you're becoming a glorified letting agent without any of the capital go growth. So I didn't, I, I, got, I got super excited about it and then went, well, pull up the horses, kids. And then the other thing that I did to mitigate risk, although it was still scary, I only ever borrowed a million pounds at any one time, which if, if you're listening to this and you're brand new to property, I promise you a million pounds is probably only three houses these days, depending on the location you're in. And I did not borrow more than a million pounds ever because my figuring out was if it, if it went horribly wrong and I had to go back to a day job, I'd have to, you know, chunder away for the next 20 years to pay those people back you know in, in a job because I didn't ever want to and so that honesty and that decency on that kind of you know this is my responsibility to pay it back no matter what meant of course people trusted me so to go back to your question um because I've I've deviated I've said stick at one thing and do really do it well and I'm saying deal sourcing is the number one tip I'd give to your guys at the beginning find discounted deals because then you can flip you can joint venture you can deal package you can buy refurb refinance rent out pull all your cash back out I've done all of that if I was to do it again and I knew that it was going to work I would have borrowed a lot more money because I knew it was going to work. But at the time, I really had to temper that with risk management. So it's a tricky stretch and a pull, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's interesting you say about the rent to rent and whether, you know, you decided not to go ahead with it because you wanted to buy the asset. Yes. And I've done rent to rent before. And I, at the beginning, to be honest, I really didn't understand how to borrow money for, or even that that was really an option. I might have heard about it, but that was something other people did that was yeah. not something that I did so how did you bridge that gap from did you always know that you could work with investors uh you were just kind of lucky like that that was okay well I want to I, I want to own it I can't so I'm not going to go with that strategy uh, I got lucky in a kind of 
you know, sometimes the things where you land not on your feet are actually useful. So I only ever had four corporate jobs. Prior to that, I ran a fair trade business in my 20s. I had uh, five shops up in Scotland. Um, and then I reckoned after seven years of doing that, I probably, you know, it was quite a good business, but I really need to learn some stuff. There's so much I don't know that I don't know, you know, the Donald Rumsfeld. And I know I don't know, but I don't know what it is that I don't know. So I was like, yeah. okay, kid, get into a corporate job. And I did an MBA and stuff like that just to learn. So it was never about the money. It was always, I need to learn some stuff that I don't know that's missing. And um, so my final job was marketing director of the SS Great Britain, which is here in Bristol. It's an iconic museum. It's the Maritime Heritage. And I was the marketing director. And um, pretty much after I got the job, my director, who's incredibly talented, rather eccentric, as you can imagine a museum director to be, said, oh, by the way, we've also given you the fundraising department. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I had, I had done fundraising, but through a corporate job, right, where you fill out forms. So I had an incredibly talented um, particularly one person in the team was incredibly talented, a woman called Vanessa. Later on, we promoted her to director. And she taught me how to, oh, sorry, she didn't teach me because I was technically her boss. She evidenced and showed me with her behavior and her professionalism, how you fundraise. So I was going to things like um, the, the kind of National Association of Fundraisers, knowing very little about the subject, technically being somebody's boss, but really being really honest about it and saying, well, I, I don't know much about this. So um, as long as we hit the KPIs, let's let's learn together. So I was very lucky that I had actually had a grounding for a charitable reason, of course, on how people might fundraise from high net worth individuals. And therefore, I think the main barrier is this possible was already broken down. And then the process barrier of how does this happen? Five to nine touch points, do your maths, um, was also there. And then of course, everybody in Britain loves property. I mean, everybody wants, not everybody, the great, every, you know, people love, they're like, oh, you're in property. Oh, it must be so exciting. You know, homes under the hammer and all that stuff. Yeah. Great British hobby, that's for sure. Yeah, yes, yeah. beanie, yes. So do you think that, everything you've started said is still relevant in the current market oh my lord if I was starting now I would be I mean and I am in some ways restarting that's gorgeous I if I was starting now knowing what I've known with my experience of millions of pounds worth of property millions of pounds worth of investment all paid back I, I keep wanting to say that because it's super important you go into it going not my money I would be so excited about the environment that we're in right now because when they turn left, you turn right. When they turn right, you turn left. You do not want to be, I mean, flipping for the last few years, most people could do it. Do, do you know what I mean? Because the market rose. You, you know, I've, I, I briefly shared with you that I had a sabbatical for two and a half years. Now, on a 10 million portfolio, pr uh, prices went up by 10% in a year. So I lay on a sofa and earn, you know, in excess of a million quid by recuperating as a, as a cancer patient. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? But but when the market gets tough, that's when your skills come out. So now is exciting because now you've got to be good at this and, and you've got to learn your skills and your trade and, and therefore you can differentiate yourself from others. This this If you learn how to do this now, you're going to be fine in any marketplace. 
And of course, people be selling, you know, unfortunately, some people, they won't have done their maths properly. And so the mortgage payments are going to be kind of difficult. Banks don't want to repossess, but nobody wants to get, you know, bad credit against themselves. So there are amazing opportunities. And when you say when everyone goes left, you need to go right. Yes. Or <laughs> the um, other way around. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where are we in the fog right now? Where are we in the road? Um we are at the point that there's a huge amount we're all similar but different we're at the point where there's a huge amount of noise so don't listen to the noise but do observe the underlying statistical trends so look on all the different house pricing indexes just to be aware so your large um economic understanding you know nationwide um all the uk price index the consumer price index you know halifax all of that stuff Understand what's happening. Understand what's happening with rents. Rents are going really, really high. All of, uh, my properties, they open them out. There's a, a, a within four hours of being advertised, they close it and then it's a waiting list within four hours of being advertised. So there's huge demand for rental properties. A yes, interest rate is going a bit higher. And then where we are is it's going to be patchy. So the same as 2008, um, in Bristol, which is a, a southern city, uh, what happened in 2008-2009 is like a little scared rabbit. Ooh, prices just froze for four years. They really didn't drop. Whereas in somewhere like Stoke-on-Trent, prices dropped. Bristol, prices froze for three to four years and then started climbing really quickly. Stoke-on-Trent took 10 years to come back. So I can't say where we're at now nationwide because it's very locally based. So look at all your big stuff and then look at your local streets, talk to your estate agents, understand the pricings right now and get really in the weeds with understanding your local marketplace and look at your economics within your local marketplace. Yeah, it's so important just to see what's going on in your area that uh, and not, you know, if, if you're invest if you're based down south, but you're investing up north or, yes. or vice versa, it's completely different markets, of course. Um, but so, where we are, yeah. sorry, jumping in is um, um, the pathway of the kind of a amateur landlord. I'm doing this for a bit of a last. They call them weekend warriors, the auction houses. They've got a proper, you know, like a customer uh, uh, avatar for them. They've now started to reduce, which is in a way great because then you don't have competition at the estate agents and the, the auctions for the weekend warriors who've got day jobs and then are doing it up maybe as a married couple on the weekend so you've got now the professional investors left well that's great if you're buying because the professional investors are just not going to buy above that you know you know i've been to auction and it went a thousand pound over my asking price okay next you know if it had been the how home i wanted i'd have been like me <laughs> <laughs> So you're now in a more professional marketplace. Great. Be a professional. So in terms of deals, deal packaging, then that you said, if you know people starting out, they're looking for discounted deals. Yes. Uh, how does that fit in with the current market? If, if the prices are turning, then yes. how do we know what is a discount and what to do with it? What's, what's a good strategy once we've secured a discounted property? Agreed. So a couple of um, just tiny things to not pick people up on, but just identify when you are entering this as a new person, the, not, the misnomer that people think is that it's discounted from the price offered. No, 
And and we've actually bought discounted deals. Remember, we did forty-five million pounds worth of property at an agreed purchase price of thirty million quid. That is thirty-three percent discounted, isn't it? It's a third off, right? It's pretty damn good. We've actually occasionally, not often, but occasionally bought properties more than the asking price. So it's not discounted from the asking price. It's discounted from the value. And you're quite right if the value is moved. So, so number one, I don't care if a person's got 10, 20, 50 grand or 100 grand off asking price. It's, it's the only figure we didn't ever record because it has no meaning. It's it's discounted against the valuation. And to do that, for you to be careful, 45 pieces of research. I've been saying this for a long time now, haven't I? Because um, if you discount it against one or two properties, well, you you know, maybe you pick the wrong property. So 20 solds, 20 on the market and five estate agent opinions. So how do you figure out if that is going to help you? Well, the five estate agent opinions, as long as you're not picking an estate agent who's a little bit too toppy and within 20 minutes of talking to your estate agent, you'll know who's toppy and you know who's honest. I'm not going to name them, but we know the brand in Bristol who's toppy. I would never ask them for an opinion on evaluation because they're, um, should we call it excitable? <laughs> Optimistic. <laughs> they did a couple of years ago have a protest outside their shop in Southfield, which did make me laugh because I was like, mm, yeah. But so the first thing, I, so your estate agents are going to be so close to the market. You, you know, they know what's going on. So your five estate agent opinions, you're going to be bang on if you choose good ones. Solds. In a market that's changing, you've got to be looking at solds in the last three months, maybe six months, depending on how quickly the market's changing. So that it, whereas in a in a flat market that's been flat for like two years, you you can look back your data that two years, no big deal. So again, you've got to know your local area. Is it is it flat? Is it rising? Is it dropping by what rate of knots? and then change your time frame accordingly. And then on the market, well, you've got to be a bit more careful with that because you might still have some latent people thinking, oh, you know, I want 500 grand. And the estate agent's like, no, it's only going to sell for 450. And they're insisting to put it on. And the estate agent just puts it on saying, well, we'll drop them in two weeks time. So you just be a bit more careful with that. But if you do that triangle of estate agents sold, but mind your time frame and on the market, you're going to be able to value it correctly. And then and learn what's happening in your local area. So um, I was enjoying reading your CV this morning on LinkedIn and you're a French and Spanish teacher in another life, right? Well, teachers are a really good indicator of property prices. Uh, and, okay. and I'll tell you why. Yeah, I, teachers, I mean, my mum was a teacher, my dad well, was a professor, they're both retired now. Um, so, so teachers generally, unless they come out of the industry, and I've had some students who came out of the industry uh, out of teaching as well into property. Teachers often, once they've decided to commit, and that is their vocation for them, they're in it for life. They're often steady people, quite measured because they like routine and regularity, and you know all the rest of it. And therefore, they've planned out their mortgages in advance. They often, not always, like their home to be quite what would you say indicative of part of who they are you know home is important home and community because they're based in a community they're based at home right and and when teachers go into a new part of town so we had it here but for Bristol people um, um Redlands used to be where teachers lived it got too pricey like really pricey so they all moved over to St George 
because it was all Victorian bayfront windows. Whereas 15 years earlier, St. George was very blue collar, but the teachers moved first, not the artists, the teachers. And I was like, get into St. George fast because those are stable long-term buyers that are going to set a stable long-term pricing structure for that part of the area so I did I bought a bunch of houses in St George and almost every single one has tripled in value in about a decade because I bought them discounts so so do you see how I'm like saying like look at what client groups are doing you know, and listen to the little seeds of growth or the, the kind of indicator, you know, when you go to your gym, what what are the people around you saying about where they're buying houses? And listen to what the market is saying by listening to the people around you as well. So it's big Amazing. picture, medium picture, and then micro picture. Okay. Love it. Great tips. Uh, okay, well, let's loop back to investors then. So yeah. you obviously have lots of experience with investors what are investors looking for now what's their appetite like and how have their expectations had to change given the changes in the market um yes no yes no yes no um the main thing an investor looks for is who you are before they invest in the deal um and you get with fundraising you get a triangle so if you think about the triangle with the peak at the top the the guys and girls at the top are the five million quid and above people with five million quid in their bank they are going to be longer to incubate because they've got bigger risk they're going to probably normally my guys with five million quid and above put in 20 percent maximum to each of their and they're going to choose five investment pots and then once they've invested in you and you you deliver they're just rinse and repeat. In fact, my big investor used to be like, could you please hurry up and give us more deals? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then you've got the middle ones, uh, people kind of 200 grand, you know, 150 to 300 grand kind of thing. And then you've got the smaller people at kind of 10, 20, 30, up to maybe 50 or 100 grand, right? And although they're all obviously looking for a return on their investment, the number one thing they're looking for is, is my money safe? Am I going to get it back? So I think the first case you need to provide, and you can't guarantee, if you're borrowing money, you can't guarantee the money is safe because by its very nature, they are investing in a, a risky scenario, which is why you need to be mindful of some of the FCA regulation to do with joint ventures and high net worth individuals, PS 13.3. But because of course that's a, you know, it's a variable opportunity. But the first thing you need to look at is how can I evidence within my best abilities that this is a safe project? So we used to do deal reports and we used to put in the 45 pieces of research and we used to just list it out. And then the second thing they want to know is kind of, who are you? So I used to meet them in my home um, when I was starting. So anybody who's thinking I'll just start to get investors and I, I only had a couple of houses myself. I used to show them my personal mortgage statement. Uh, I used to show them my salary when I was still working and working in the evenings. I would be really open book about everything. Uh, so they're wanting to see that they can trust you. Um, and so number one is, is my money safe? And then number two is how much are you going to give me? And do you think that uh, you were talking about deal packaging and working with investors for people who are starting out and perhaps they don't have that track record or the credibility or even they've, you know, they've got their own portfolio, but they've never worked with investors before. Is it, do you, would you advise people to start with uh, investors at the lower end where they've got maybe 50k or is there just nothing stopping anybody going straight for the five million 
Yes. Um, I think you cut it, it, it. That triangle is inevitable. So if you are going to do your work in in running a professional investment recruitment strategy, which is kind of what a fundraising strategy is, um, it's the same as going to the gym and doing squats, you know, three sets of, you know, sets of six, whatever your program says, just do the work. You are inevitably going to end up with a triangle. You're going to end up with loads of people with small amounts of money, brilliant for refurbs. You're going to end up with a medium amount of people with a middle amount of money. And then you're going to end up with a small amount of people with the top amount of money. It's inevitable. Now you can decide I'm not going to work with a certain segment within that, but why would you, even if you were new, say no to a five million pound person if if you found them early? Um, and my five million pound people were my best mentors in the early days because once they they were longer to to recruit because they had more to lose, but once they recruited. Um, we would meet up, they would give me business advice, they would kind of look at me working like a crazy woman. And then they'd be like, Oh, thank goodness, I can go home and play golf now. But they were people who'd built businesses, and they were loving giving me advice, and then leaving again, <laughs> you know, for me to do all the work. So I don't think you can just go for the five million pound people without at least encountering the, the two other tiers, whether you then decide in your strategy to work with them or not is your decision me i i worked with all three categories because they had different uses you know refurb deposit in a house obviously with the bank's permission and then um uh, large-scale projects and and lots of private lending for a hundred percent mortgage plus refurb how's about that so how many houses can you buy as long as you're getting them discounted if they are giving you a hundred percent of the funding and they're funding you the refurb yes yeah for people who you when you mentor people I guess the one of the main blocks people have is the fear of um you know losing the money or not yes. not being confident in their own deal perhaps so how do you you know work with people to overcome that sure. it's all the due diligence well, of course but yeah um, on the not being confident in your own deal, I just I refer you back to the 45 pieces of research. So we have a spreadsheet of all the deals we ever did. Um, and uh, it would be about one. Well, we were different. I liked to only go to deals I could already buy discounted. Ash went to more deals than he could buy discounted. So his conversion rate wasn't as strong as mine, but he got more deals than me overall, mainly because he was focusing full time on the deal sourcing, whereas I was you know, working more with the investors and then doing a bit of deal sourcing. Um, so with the deal sourcing, if you can if you can really test it with those 45 pieces of research, plus then you work out about five exit routes. So plan A would be you flip it at the price that you've assessed it's going to be. Plan B, you HMO it. Plan C, you single let it. Plan D, you service accommodation it. Plan E, you might put it out to a charity or local authority for vulnerable housing. And then plan F, you uh, buy refurb, refinance and rent out or the investor does and pays you out your share, whatever. You have multiple exit routes in terms of it paying for itself as an asset. Plus, you've done 45 pieces of research. That's pretty strong. Plus, you've really figured out what the refurb should be in advance. Um, and ideally, you've gotten anything up to three quotes or at the time we ended up having um, nine sets of builders we work with, but three at any one time. So we pretty much knew our pricing. So there's 
although there's things that could go wrong, like dry rot had all of that, you know, roofs needing redone in a hurricane had all, well, not hurricane, but, you know, massive storm had that. There aren't that many things that can go wrong if you've done a lot of careful due diligence. Um, And And it's working uh, with other people, isn't it, as well, to get that uh, proof of concept that it can be done and having that support group there, having the mentor or the accountability partner. Yes, just to especially if it, in the early days I think that really fast tracks your progress would you agree a hundred percent in my early days well um I remember I remember doing an article with YPN in 2009 and I remember I hadn't slept the night before because an investor just about to pull out of a a deal uh well as I was driving in to see and <laughs> to do this article <laughs> you think so you you are like a swan who's paddling underneath and kind of swimming on top but so so how can you evidence that the 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 deal is good by doing your research by being really careful um and and then your other part of the question I'm sorry my brain still isn't quite 100% working uh do you know what I think okay. I know either. <laughs> oh, Obviously it was not important. We can move. We can yes. But how do you find investors? One in twenty. Well, just with the, with, yeah, I suppose it's having that uh, belief, isn't it, that possible? So I think just for people who are new, um, they might say, okay, well, I might meet somebody with you know five hundred thousand pounds, but um, at the end of the day, you've just got to have the guts to go for it and say, yeah. okay, I've done my research. I've done everything that I can do. I'm comfortable. Yes. It all stacks. Now let's just bite the bullet and go ahead. And it just yes. becomes a mindset thing that you you have to just get on with, basically. I, I agree. And and also, I think when like when I used to go to property events, I um uh, uh, Kevin Wright, who's a lovely friend of mine, said um when he first met me, like 2009, 2010, he went, "I've heard about you," and I was like, "Uh oh, what do you mean?" And he goes, "Well." And they say you're very decent. They say you're a very, you know, g- good person, but you're a tank. And, you know, I'm a girl. So I was like, oh, Kevin. <laughs> but what he meant was, and he was completely correct, unfortunately, is when I went to a property event, I didn't just go and kind of go, oh, I'm here. I was like, okay, why am I going? What's my purpose? And my purpose was to find investors. And so I collected all the business cards. You know, I followed them up by phoning them five times after I'd collected their business card. So he's quite right. Oh, Simon Zutzi, who, again, I've got huge admiration for. I used to speak at his events um, and a, an event in London. They'd said, oh, you can't actually like, um, you know, collect cards in the room. So I stood outside the door and collected everybody's card before they went in. And quite correctly, his office phone me went, Susanna. And I was like, I know, but that's what I'm here for. So I had a queue of 200 people and I was like, here's my card, can I have yours? Here's my card, can I have yours? <laughs> and they were right to tell me off, but that was my job. My job is That's to collect contact. Forgiveness, eh? not permission. <laughs> <laughs> we still we still really appreciate each other. And he was just like, oh, Susanna Cole. Yes. But that's, so I think the difference is, and I think if you only collect three business cards, you're never going to find an investor. So then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh my goodness, nobody wants to invest with me. Well, you haven't asked enough people. One in 20. Do you think the investor comes first or the deal? Ah, um, it is chicken and egg, isn't it? Okay, so my advice, having seen my own behavior, and then I have taught thousands of students over the years, and I've really enjoyed observing their successes, is if you do 40% working on your business, like for everyone listening to this podcast, you're learning, right? Tick, there's a 40% hour, 
good for you. And if you do 30% of your time on deals and 30% of your time on investors. Now, it doesn't mean to say you're going to split your week up that way. You might do like one and a half weeks working on your business. Like right now, I'm doing a lot of VA work. So I'm working on my business and I'm like, why isn't it going faster? <laughs> and then you might do a whole week on deals and then you might do a whole week on investors. Do you see what I mean? Um, but basically, 30-30 deals and investors, 40% keeping your business organized uh, and improving it and getting out of your own way. Yeah, great. Lots and lots of tips for people. So uh, obviously, you've mentioned before, you've had some time out and been a bit poorly. And now you're back and kind of reinventing yes. what's, you know, the next the next couple uh, of years are going to look like. Uh, how did you find that? what role did property play in your life when you had to take that back seat yes um a life-saving role I've actually got a bit good I'm still I'm still slightly I wouldn't call the word fragile but I might be a bit teary um so in January 19th 2021 uh I mean I eat organic you know organic food I do lots of exercise I've got healthy relationships you know all the good stuff right and um um, I had previously gone a couple of years earlier and it was a misdiagnosis and they hadn't done the tests properly. So I got a bit of a shock. So January 19th, 2021, Susanna, you've got cancer. And it was, if you can imagine a skier skiing downhill the slalom, you know, when they do those really tight turns and the slalom kind of um, poles whip their legs. I had numerous like, whips <laughs> that's, all, that's the best way to describe it so I ended up not just with one cancer but three entirely unconnected cancers in the same year like wow so um uh, the hospital uh, and I actually uh, without we don't need to go into any detail but the the main department was incapable I think that's a kind word for what I actually experienced so I ended up paying privately I spent over a hundred grand on my own treatment, even though I'm a major taxpayer. So I was a little bit annoyed with that, but I'm also incredibly grateful because it saved my life. It a hundred percent saved my life. So to be able to just, so so what we did, so, so the hospital's 10 minutes away from here. Um, I'm in Bristol just now, not my house in Barcelona. And on the way back, uh, I was with my daughter and we put together a WhatsApp group uh, and we just went, guys, gonna need you you know or my my loved ones which is why I've been very quiet in property for the last two years or three, two and a half years um and I just stopped work overnight like immediately so for the next couple of years my properties just kept the money coming in we also the, I also asked the nurse because it took three and a half weeks before they could say you've got cancer and this is the stage so for three and a half weeks you really get to know yourself because you're awaiting the results of a scan that could say yeah, it might be okay, or this is terminal for three and a half weeks. I mean, that's that's torture. Um, so I'm a person that likes to know stuff. So my and there's there's three ways to approach it: fight, flight, or freeze. And uh, when the, when the consultant said you've got cancer, I went, "This better not kill me." <laughs> so we know what I am. I said to my nurse, "What happens if it's stage four? And she said, "We stop treating you. We stop treating you." which may be technically correct, but I thought, no way. <laughs> so we sold six houses in order to have a really huge financial cash pile so that I could afford um, treatment anywhere in case the NHS said, sorry, we're going to stop treating you. Mm. Uh, so property allowed me to not work, 
for two and a half years. It allowed me to spend a hundred grand on my own treatment just because of, well, we all know the NHS is strained. There was addition to that, but that's, we'll just leave that there. And it allowed me to have a major cash pot in case the NHS declined to treat me. They didn't because it wasn't stage four, which is terminal. Um, so it was, and it, and it meant that I could also um, have time and uh, as if anyone's well one in two people will get cancer so unfortunately my story unfortunately is not going to be unusual so it meant that what I did was I had time I read maybe a thousand research um, documents and I could implement all the other things that aren't necessarily nice guidelines but there's loads of evidence that they can be supportive because you want your immune system to kick these gitty things out of your body don't you yeah and obviously a huge time of reflection for you yes and and now you're back so what's changed ah love (laughs) because there's a really fascinating if anybody's got a loved one with cancer there's a fascinating book called oh I read loads of books I read 120 books on the subject and a thousand papers but the the best book the two best books was um radical remissions Dr Kelly Turner and she talks about what are the nine key traits that um people who have a terminal diagnosis but don't die, what are the nine key traits? And love and support and connection was one of them. And that was the biggest change. I mean, I always knew my people I loved and I hoped obviously they loved me, but I really know it now, you, you know? So so I just, I've come back feeling very cocooned by an awful lot of love from the people I love. Um, and I hope to keep that feeling for the rest of my life, you know, that that safety blanket. And hopefully I can love them as much as they can love me. Now, I know we're veering away from property, but that was the biggest change. And then the second one was just being a more mindful of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic state. So making sure I switch on my parasympathetic, my rest and digest state every day. And it's great because property bought me a flat in Barcelona for cash. So I've, I spend 50% of my time near the sea in Barcelona. I jump up and go to the sea every day. But I'm back now and I'm excited to to be in property, but I'm very grateful that I already have a property portfolio built. So yes. what I'm doing now is uh, working with planning consultants to add even more value to my current property portfolio. Um, I was like, stop it, Suze. I've already found three deals in Barcelona that are discounted. I'm like, stop it. Don't do it. And I'm like, woo So I'm uh, learning how to buy in Barcelona and then I'll be buying commercial in the UK. But I'm actually going to personally, only because of my health circumstances, I'm completely clear and, and out of my danger remission time as well. Very fortunate that that was only two years. But I had six operations, chemo, radiotherapy. So, you know, mm. I, I definitely know the inside of a hospital. So I definitely am just, I'm just going to wait another six months of gentleness before actually purchasing so at the moment what am I doing with my money I'm angel investing with others and teaching people mm-hmm. oh, okay so it's I get you're becoming the investor yeah <clears throat> so how do you how does that outlook given everything that you've gone through now becoming the investor for other people yes. um and obviously you're mindful okay about the future Yes. And perhaps looking at that differently. Yes. Does that, does that, has that influenced how you invest now or who you invest with? 
Um, so mm -hmm. if we think about that triangle we talked about again of the kind of five million, the hundred grand and the 50 grand um, in the top part of the triangle. And remember I said those guys will take longer to incubate and yes. recruit in the first place, but then they want a rinsing repeat. And that's exactly me. So um, my strategy, obviously I've had amazing students and and I've got very dear friends that I invest with quite regularly, sometimes in the hashtag save, save my bacon for, you know, can I have, <laughs> yeah, 30, can I have 32 grand for two weeks? Yeah, no problem, here you go. <laughs> because I've done that as well. You know, a really dear friend of mine, Anthony, lent me 20 grand for like two days. I was like, thank you, Anthony. This is a long time ago, a long time ago. Um, so, so I took a long time to become an investor and then I rinse and repeat with the same people. And then my approach to investing is observing people very quietly. I want to see them make mistakes and I want to see them recover from those mistakes. My number one criteria is can they recover from mistakes? If so, I'm in. Um, and then so we're talking in kind of back end of summer, beginning of autumn 2023. I will be approaching people saying, I'd like to invest with you in 2024. So I'm giving six to nine months notice in advance because I expect my plans to be stable and I expect their plans to be stable. Even though I know because I was the other side of that, that they are like swans gliding on the top and going crazy underneath, you know. Mm -hmm. So I want to identify and give stability to my investing and stability to my, my partners. Expect my money then. You know, this is the amount of money I'm talking about. So it's so so that's not somebody where you have to drag the money out of them. That's somebody saying, I've identified who I want to work with. This is the amount of money I've got. This is the time frame that would work for me. How does that fit with your business plan? Wow. A few lucky phone calls then. <laughs> I'm always surprised, though, how few people ask me for money. <laughs> and if I get deluged after <laughs> great you can practice on me but I'm super surprised at how few people ask because there is yeah. so much money out there and if you want... huge like timing issue isn't there between somebody who's got yes. the deal and someone who happens to have the money at the right time yes. I think that's such a you know I was raising some money a couple of weeks ago and went to my list of investors and you know some of them all tied up and some of yes you know whatever and it's just um getting that timing right but I think that's brilliant what you've just said there if you've got the foresight to be able to say okay in the next six months I've got you know some funds lined up be ready yes that, that's that's a, a huge advantage for anyone yes. and then I'm not going to remind them so if they don't come back yes. to me they drop a little bit further down on the list yeah. because they're not organized enough and so it's all an assessment actually um but but a, a good friend of mine is right in the thick of it right now buying oh golly 35 units this year right and we kpi every two weeks so we're at different stages of our career sure but we're able to observe you know like like you said you need a community every two weeks we have kpis key performance indicators and we kick each other's butts let let me be quite frank um and and for the last six months, I've been going, you're going to, I haven't been saying you're going to run out of money, but that's what I've been meaning. I'll probably have. I've probably said some, I've probably said it was some very straight. It coming. Yeah, yeah. Mate, you need to keep raising money. Mate, you need to keep raising money. Mate, you need to keep raising money. And he just, um, the banks didn't deliver in time and he just raised a million quid, like literally last week because I went to see the house. Um, because he, not, not necessarily, we well, kind of half listened to me. He's like, all right, stop bugging me. Um, because he had just, you just got to keep cranking the handle. 
Because as you say, if you don't quite have enough investors on your list and you need the money when their money's out, well, that just tells you you need more people on your list. I hope you got the money, by the way. Yes, I did. (laughs) Good. Congratulations. Thank you. It is that having the pipeline of investors and pipeline of deals. Yes. It's the dance, isn't it? Just making both match. And if you you get the right timing on both sides, then happy days. Yeah. And I think it's depersonalizing it that some of your investors who couldn't uh, support you in this time it's nothing to do with you it's just their money and and also going okay so what's the lesson here not not in your case but what's the lesson here if, if people are saying no right now so have I spoken to them enough have I asked them to pledge have I shown them enough deals have I walked them around sites if I have any sites um and have I got enough in my pipeline uh and and do I like them uh, um, and so it's instead of going, oh, my gosh, you know, you can't raise money. It's well, maybe my processes are not quite where they need to be. And so I just need to shine them up a little bit. Yeah, I think you're so right about the processes because, gosh, you know, life goes really quickly. And <gasps> suddenly <laughs> six months, two years and you're like, wow, I, you know, I've not spoken to this person in so long. Yes. How has that happened? It's not even yeah. intentional or, you know, because it seems like it was only six months ago, but yes. having those processes in place, I think you're right there. It's really important. So can I tell you just to maybe share with the guys, um, if I, so I remember with one of my lovely mentees, we went to a property event in Wales and there was maybe 60 people or something in the room. And I was like, all right, I'll race you. I mean, I didn't need to raise any money by that point. Right. But I was like, okay, I'm going to race you. Let's see how many business cards we can collect. And, and cause I, I like competition, but in a way that if I win and then you beat me, I'm loving it, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to see you raise you kind of thing. So I didn't care really who won, but I just love the game. Um, so, so James, so he went around, I forget what number he, he got, but um, I got most of the room. So when I go into a property room or when I did, when I was raising money, I count how many people are in the room and I need two thirds of the business cards minimum, minimum. Oh. And, and, and you ask I- them if they're investors. Or just no, no. You just what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing in property? What's your objective? What's your time frame? And how much is your pot? So, for example, with me, um, what's your objective? Well, to use my, you know, I've got money in the bank. Um, I'm not going to raise my stress level just for gentleness for another six months. So I'm not going to run a project myself for another six months, even though I've got the competency. Just because let's just come gently. You know, it was quite a traumatic experience. So let's just love ourselves and come out gently from that experience. Um, so what, that's my, my objective. So it's never like, I want 10% return. It's always a, an emotional or human objective. What's your time frame? Well, probably till like the second quarter or first quarter of 2024. Okay, great, six months. And then how much is your pot? Well, it's this much. How quick can you get that information from somebody? So I would ask every single person within two and a half minutes, I got the information, I'd write it down. Um, and then I'd say, you're here to meet people. So am I, I will give you a call tomorrow look forward to it and I'd move on so that's why Kevin Wright my lovely friend called me the tank <laughs> I love it I challenge everyone next time you've got a networking meeting do yes. that and yes you do have to be a little bit brave or a little bit cheeky if you're not used to asking people how much is in their pot yeah. say so what if they don't want to say they don't want to say no it doesn't matter and to be honest the you know when we get back to that triangle the people at the bottom will probably tell you the people in the middle because they've done amazingly well to get I don't know 150 200 grand so it feels a lot and it is 
that's a lot of money but there's quite a lot of ego around that in the middle in the middle and, and understandably so they're kind of pinning their worth on it in a way where somebody with 10 or 20 are like oh I've only got 10 or 20 don't worry <laughs> I can use that you know and then somebody kind of with the five million part or, you, you know with that hundreds and hundreds of thousands and five million part well they're just there to do business so they're like, this is my pot. This is how, you know, so for example, I know I need to keep a certain number of six figures cash in the bank at all times or my my mental security blanket is unhappy. So I'd be like, this is my pot and this is how much I need to keep in the bank. End of, let's do business. Yeah. Right. I love it. Do you know what? We could be talking all day. <laughs> yeah, I think we could. <laughs> and I'm only back. <laughs> Can you uh, yes, yeah, we have to do a part two. Um, yeah. let, before we do, what's what does you know the next what, what does it look like now if people want to get in touch with you I know you're kind of still yes. easing back in but um where can people find out more about you I know you've got some fantastic training yourself um are you doing any mentoring at the moment or is that I, later on next year um I do a very small number of one-to-one mentoring spots but very small and I'm very um um so what I've done and I was very glad to have it all prepared actually because obviously all this knowledge you want other people to you know like I won't say a second name just out of privacy but one of my mentees who was um you know there's tortoise and a hare and he was a tortoise and and he'll know who he is David um and he asked every question all the way through and he's like I you know I never lost faith in him I knew he was going to deliver now he's building five houses in a cul-de-sac I mean how gorgeous is that so so I love sharing this knowledge because it changed my life and it can change so many other people's lives as well so I was very grateful and glad that before I had my sabbatical which didn't end up being a villa in Bali but was in my house in Bristol and Barcelona um, and hospitals um, I was very grateful that I had all my online education already there so people could keep enjoying and benefiting while I wasn't necessarily there um, so I have academies online I have my uh, whole uh, year system online that people can download at quite, to be honest quite a fraction of the price of what it would be if you were being taught it live and then have a very small number of one-to-one but but if people are starting out I got nine downloads that are free including a hundred page pack for free so they should definitely download those and then I've got three webinars which they can just grab at any point online all on my website so there's a lot of free and obviously you, you know I've got the YouTube and I think we're close to two million views now so um website wise to get the webinars to get the downloads to get the pack um, and maybe some of the education oh and I've got dual package of contracts of course is um the goodpropertycompany.co.uk and then if folks want to get in touch I would be delighted I would love to hear what people are up to in property and where they want to go and what their struggles are contact me on any of the socials LinkedIn Instagram Facebook or contact through the website uh, and let me know where you're at and what your struggle is it'll be really fun to talk amazing and remember to mention your property podcast with us oh yes just because yes. you know I'm sure you get you know as everyone does all the uh, friend requests every day so um yeah make sure you distinguish yourself guys that you've heard Susanna on our podcast definitely I would yes because that would be super interesting because I'll feed it back to you guys but it's also been really nice to kind of re-explore where you've been so you talked just before we come on that in the early days we met um at property investor awards and of course you've been up for awards and and it's been really exciting this morning going oh look at all this stuff look at this development it's really yeah it's interesting in the property world you just come across so many 
uh, people with different backgrounds and different routes into property. It's uh, certainly isn't a one size fits all, is it? You know, you've got all sorts of backgrounds and and skill sets. So uh, yeah, it's been a fun journey for me, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, and now you've got um, you've got a uh, you've got a mini you. <laughs> to, I've got to, a mini me. <laughs> in that fun journey with as well. Yeah, incredibly, it's coming up to two years old now. So, um, and do you know what? As you say, there with property, it's been such a blessing to be able to have like a flexible work-life balance. I'm not sure about balance because I just think it, you know, comes with you know two-year-old. Uh, there's lots of waves of, you know, you, you spend lots of time with with him or lots of time working, and it just uh, flows. But to have the flexibility, I think that's the most important thing. And in yeah. you know, with like if he had chickenpox couple of weeks ago and be able oh. to just take two weeks off and just sit and watch Disney movies with him uh and you know and just take that time and still get paid through the income through the property and obviously what we do with YPN and the training as well so it's yeah. uh it, it's a pleasure and you know a few even just 10 years ago when I was still in the middle of teaching I had no idea that I could do any of this or it was even possible or these things existed it just uh it was either I had you know I just I went through this time of what other job could I get yes um because I knew that staying in teaching forever was not an option um mm. certainly not till I was 68 retire, retiring anyway um so there was always a plan b and I'm just so grateful that I stumbled into property and and it and made it you know what it is today it's it's both like something you adore and then something that drives you nuts isn't it now, now it's fun right it is it is fun oh, yeah. the challenges, even the challenges that do drive you nuts you're yes. like, well I wouldn't have it any other way yesterday um because I literally am only a few weeks back and um so I'm I'm effective and, and one of the things I always did oh, I don't yeah I'm gonna say it. one of the things I always did well was I built systems quite quickly and that's why we could scale that's why I could scale the fundraising that's why we could scale, scale the deals that's why we had very high quality um, education because it wasn't by chance it was all studied and re- replicated and then systematized and templated which is why I just give all that stuff to my students um so I'm back rebuilding a system I'm very lucky there's so much I've already got but I'm back at the beginning of rebuilding systems and teams um and yesterday was my first little is very minor something and I was like oh that means you know that little like oh I need a cup of tea now <laughs> and I was like that <laughs> means you're starting to push against it Susanna yeah. that means you're starting to to move the needle to get momentum because that kind of push at the beginning is always the awkward stuff isn't it it's always like oh there's a pushback and you just have to keep pushing a little bit yeah. yes I think you you want to be dipping into that stretch zone you don't want to be in the panic zone that's for sure but no, you, no one wants to be in the comfort zone forever just well I don't anyway no <laughs> I agree along. that's you know that's not a life for me anyway I'd like I love to be just trying new things and experimenting and growing agree and expanding what we're doing I think that's that's part of the joy and the, what I know we need to round up and we could absolutely go on there's so much to talk about in property but automation has been amazing so from when I was self-managing the portfolio 15 years ago to all of the digital automation now, and, and obviously also for my education business as well, um, it, you know, all of the kind of widespread programs that are, enable you to auto, automate most things. Um, for example, one of my students, Matt, well, he's he's written, I think, in possibly your magazine in the last little while, Um 
he he years ago i think we did a we used to always do a tech it and 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 people a weekend because it's really important to realize you have an organization even if it's just you yourself and i because you're the chief exec and the, the chief bottle sweeper and he turned around and he said in one of her departments Susanna's paying 140 grand on salaries and i'm paying 1400 pounds a year and i was like dang so and it's very true. So even when property, if we can get into automation, it can really cut our costs. It can really help us be more, um, more, more, more effective. So all of this is super exciting, isn't it? Well, it is right now with all the AI, you know, everything that's going on with AI and these plugins, the APIs, and <clears throat> it's just a whole other world that we're getting to. I'm really excited to be part of that journey as well and seeing yes. what, you know, how that can fast track just get yeah. rid of all that admin that no one oh. well, that we don't like to do anyway um so that we can focus on the fun things right yes. and the, the the income generating tasks the things that are going to really be moving the needle forward yeah. uh, so i think it's a really exciting time for everybody so so when you were talking about oh gosh you know a year can pass and you think oh man I, you know it feels like yesterday i spoke to that potential investor well crm system with tasks and and kind of triggers that tell you oh so, so for me when i grabbed a name this is years ago by the way so let's just say you had you were someone i met and i was going i really need to raise money because i can do these deals um i would have met you say on the thursday night or this we'll call it the monday night I would have called you on the Tuesday, a one in five answers. So I'd have called you once a once a day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, until uh, five calls. And then I obviously don't stalk you. You answer on one of those calls because you're only going to answer 20% of the calls because you're busy as an investor. That's that. You answer the call. We have, you know, what's your time frame? You put your objective. Um, we'll have another call two days later. Um, so let's say you you answer on the Monday. We'll we'll have another call on the Wednesday. Uh, let's say we like each other. We think we could do some business together. We're going very gently. We'll meet for a coffee the following Monday. Um, we'll meet for a coffee the following th that Thursday. We'll probably meet again the following Monday. Um, we'll have gotten to five to nine touch points within about three to seven weeks. So you are either in the nicest way possible on my list for potentially being an investor or off shorter two months of me meeting you and then you just roll out that process for lots of people until you find amazing people that you like and they like you and jobs are good and I love it well well I'll be sharing this little snippet with lots of people I know because I get asked this question a lot so uh that's a, a, that's a great answer there so yeah fantastic good, good. well, well I'm looking let's forward wrap, let's wrap up yeah we've yes. got we've got lots more I'm sure we can uh Yes. touch base maybe next year and find out what's changed i would love that and it will be so much fun to see where things are going for you as well soon great well thank you so much for your time susanna it's been it's been okay. great i'm looking forward to yeah watching what's happening next for you grand and good luck to everybody absolutely thanks everyone for listening again and if you're not yet a subscriber to the magazine click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial we'll put all the links to Susanna's company in there so you can uh, just get access to everything she's talked about today and follow her on the socials we'll see you next time guys